Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. We call this episode, What's Cake Got to Do With It? That's because there are a number of breaking news items and Supreme Court cases that all have at least something to do with Masterpiece Cake Shop. We have a new development in a case before the Supreme Court involving a Washington-based florist that turned away a same-sex couple that was looking to buy flowers for their wedding. Also, just before Pride Weekend in NYC, we learned that the Red Hen, a small Virginia restaurant, refused service to Trump's press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. In the rush for clickable stories, we've been getting some misleading headlines and hot takes from all over on both of these stories. But that's why you can turn to Legal for us to unpack these issues and explain why turning away queer people because they are queer and turning away Sarah Huckabee Sanders because she works for Trump are not the same thing. Finally, we will be discussing Trump's Muslim ban ruling that just came down from the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision. We will be chatting about these breaking news headlines and more with Lambda Legal's senior attorney, Omar Gonzalez Pagan. In addition to being an amazing civil rights attorney, Omar is my friend and the newest addition to Legal's Rockstar Board of Directors. But before we dig in, I wanted to take a moment to address this administration's cruel family separation and indefinite detention policies. Legal has dedicated much of our legal work to securing protections for all kinds of families. Those are our values, and we will never stop fighting. That's why Legal is appalled and outraged by the Trump administration's policy of separating children from their parents at the U.S. border. We believe that all families belong together and that kids do not belong in cages. Little is known about the June 20th executive order purporting to end family separation and how it's going to play out in practice. Also unclear is the fate of the 2,342 children who have already been separated from their parents under this barbaric policy. Many of them may never see their parents again. Furthermore, Trump's executive order continues the zero-tolerance policy and allows for the indefinite detention of families while parents are prosecuted and their immigration cases await resolution. This is unacceptable and dangerous. According to reports, many asylum seekers are being turned away at the border. These are individuals who are trying to escape persecution in their home countries. This is a form of legal immigration. Recently, in a tweet, Trump called for maintaining law and order by sending, quote-unquote, these people back to where they came from without judges or court cases. This outrageous statement and suggestion that we can deny due process to those seeking legal asylum in the U.S. couldn't have less to do with law and order. America is better than this. Every single child separated under this unspeakably cruel policy must be reunited with their parents. Until that point, Legal and the LGBT legal community will continue to do everything we can to bring an end to this self-inflicted humanitarian crisis. However this ends, this administration's cruelty has already caused irreparable damage. In New York, we are all immigrants. We are not this. And we're back. Yesterday, as we were all waiting for a potential ruling in the travel ban case, the Supreme Court surprised us all when it vacated and remanded the Washington State Supreme Court's decision in Arlene's Flowers v. Washington, a case involving a same-sex couple turned away from a flower shop because they were LGBT. 
Omar, let's set up this case for listeners. Um, by now, we all basically know the facts of Masterpiece Cake Shop. A couple walks into a bakery to request a cake for their wedding and is turned away by the baker owner, who says he will not make wedding cakes for same-sex couples. Tell us a little bit about the facts here. There's really no distinguishing facts other than there's uh, it's a florist um, and rather than a baker. And... The fact that there's actually not even a hint of hostility towards religion in any of the proceedings below. Um, Arlene's Flowers was a case that brought was brought as an enforcement action by the Attorney General of Washington. And um, in this instance, what we're seeing is what is quite routine in the Supreme Court after it is cleaning up its docket. Uh, it's called a grant, vacate, and remand, okay. uh, GVR, and uh, it's, it's done pretty routinely to clean up cases that present similar issues to others, but that w- they were waiting the disposition of another case. Um, if you were to look deeply at Arlene's flowers, one would have argued that there's a reason for the court to have just simply denied because there were not the factors that ended up being discussed in Masterpiece, mm-hmm. but... Um, from a matter of court procedure and routine, it, it was quite a normal action. But what's normal in, for the court may not be what's the, the message that's being sent to those that seek a right to discriminate or even LGBT people and same-sex couples. So let's unpack that for folks. When you're talking about... Uh, there's no evidence of hostility here. In Masterpiece, what we got was a decision saying there was hostility towards religion by the commissioners. Here, there's no evidence of hostility in any of the lower court adjudication processes. The Alliance Defending Freedom is making a claim that there was hostility evidenced by the Attorney General in this case. Well, the Alliance Defending Freedom is arguing that any enforcement of civil rights laws is hostility towards religion. (laughs) So I wouldn't take what they say seriously. Um, uh, I think, look, Masterpiece was a dodge by the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. It was a case that obviously Justice Kennedy did not want to have heard. And that's why those cases were pending for a long time, months and months, waiting for Neil Gorsuch to be confirmed in order to get a cert to get the case accepted by the Supreme Court. Uh, The same thing happened here. Um, This is obviously a case, I don't think there's any appetite by Justice Kennedy, let alone the the Democrat-appointed justices to have this case necessarily heard. I take comfort in the fact that this was a unanimous decision by the Washington Supreme Court. We, if you follow its reasoning clearly, in its previous decision, we assume it will reach the same result. Um, That's the same position that the Washington Attorney General, A.G. Ferguson, has taken and expressed, and I think that's what's going to happen. But we must set aside the fact that sometimes routine actions send unintended messages and consequences. And so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, one of the biggest fears that we have here is that after Masterpiece Cake Shop, we got all of these headlines that say, Baker wins. People on, you know, the religious discrimination side cheering in the streets, basically, that this shows that the court 
uh, signaled that there was a right to turn away folks. Um, and we've been pretty emphatic here on this podcast and, and you know, certainly Lambda Legal as well, that the court did not decide the ultimate merits of the case, whether there was a constitutional right to discriminate. So what when you talk about the message that Arlene's Flowers sends and what are you talking about with respect to the harm? Well, I don't think that the GVR of Arlene's Flowers sends a particular message in itself. Okay. I think it just doesn't send the right message. The absence of a message here is, is the problem. The court could have emphatically decided in, in Masterpiece Cake Shop, and it could have emphatically decided in Arlene's Flowers that our civil rights laws are to be applied evenly and fairly to all, and that there's no right to discriminate just because you disagree with some of the protected people by that civil rights law, whether it's public accommodations, employment, healthcare, housing, education. Um, so that lack of a message from the Supreme Court is creating a vacuum, one which, in which our opponents are claiming a right to discriminate that simply does not exist. And what we saw in Masterpiece Cake Shop was a clear recognition by the Supreme Court in the context of sexual orientation that there is a compelling governmental interest in eradicating discrimination. I wish they would have gone further, and so do we all wish that they would have gone further in Masterpiece and Arlene's Flowers. But I also take some comforting knowing that this is an extremely conservative Supreme Court, and maybe no damage is better than um, some of the damage that could have happened if the case had been granted or decided fully. I think Justice Kennedy has no appetite for this question at this moment in time. He may have to confront us soon, but for the time being, he really is avoiding this question. And so state courts we have seen getting this right. You mentioned, you know, the, the Washington Supreme Court, state Supreme Court got this right. It's probably likely to look back at the evidence here, find there was no evidence of animus and rule exactly the same way. Um, and then we've got um, the Arizona Supreme Court that issued an opinion just after Masterpiece Cake Shop, kind of applying what the what the holding of Masterpiece was. Can you talk a little bit about that case and what it signals? Uh, what we know is that the courts that have decided these questions or have cases presented to them, even after Masterpiece, that includes in Arizona, that includes in Oregon, have not taken up the, the, the framework that there's a right to discriminate. To the contrary, they have continued to apply their civil rights, public accommodations laws, as they should. And that will be the ultimate result. I think the problem that has been created by Masterpiece and by the GVR of Arlene's Flowers is that it's made that road longer, yeah. and unnecessarily so. Okay, so when we talk about that long road ahead, I think one of the things that Lambda Legal did very well was kind of articulate to the court and what I'd like to do kind of now is to articulate to listeners the various harms that LGBT people face when they walk in and face discrimination in the area of public accommodations. You will hear, and I routinely hear from members of the LGBT community, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't go to that flower shop or couldn't I just go somewhere else? Or um, what do you say to folks about that? And can you talk a little bit about the harm that, that Lambda Legal conveyed 
to the Supreme Court in their brief? I think the problem with Masterpiece and the problem with Arlene's Flowers is that the damage that is inflicted upon the same-sex couple or the LGBT individual in terms of their equal dignity, their worth as a full member of our society is very real. I would also say that it is somewhat lesser than the damage that is inflicted to somebody who is denied healthcare in a moment of need, to somebody that is denied the ability to have a home, to somebody that is literally thrown out of a cab because of who they are. And, but the legal principle on both cases is the same, and that's why it's important to apply it in all of those circumstances. But the, the brief that we submitted in, in this case really highlighted our experiences, and we work with uh, partners in collecting these stories about how people have encountered discrimination in the name of quote-unquote religion. And we have the example for, for us of Johnny Conforti, a man that I'm representing in New Jersey, mm-hmm. who was denied the ability to have a gender-affirming surgery care at a Catholic hospital near his home. In fact, the two closest hospitals near his home are both owned by the same Catholic system. And the reality is that one in six hospital beds in this country are in Catholic hospitals. And the, the, the trend is one of consolidation of hospitals in this country, where we're going to have even more beds, hospital beds and hospital facilities be affiliated with some religion, particularly Catholic uh, entities. That is a problem, because when you can be denied healthcare because of who you are, like Johnny was in New Jersey, it can happen to you in the middle of the country. It can happen to you where the closest hospital to you is another hundred miles away. And that, is, that endangers lives. That is the problem with using religion to discriminate. And we have examples of a same-sex couple getting thrown from a cab outside Chicago. We have examples of people being denied housing in, in the middle of Colorado, like it was with the Smith family. And with respect to funeral arrangements as well? We've had funeral, we, we represent Uncle Jack, who was denied in the most horrible of circumstances, denied public accommodation because the funeral home refused, after having arranged for this, refused to show his husband at the funeral home because they were a same-sex couple. That is outrageous. And in that case, this occurred in, in a place that has no public accommodations laws. So we're relying on other theories to represent uh, Uncle Jack, whether it is contract and, th- and tort, but um, it speaks to the importance of having these public accommodations protections in the country, it speaks to, which don't exist at the federal level. That's right. And, and to have them state by state. And, and what we are seeing is the misuse of religion to discriminate against people. We are playing with people's lives. It's not just about flowers, it's not about cake, it's about your ability to live in society as a full member of society. It's about you being able to walk down the street, to get an education, to work, to get to your home, and to be able to access healthcare. And when those things are denied, what are we doing in this country? 
but really setting up the failure of those that don't look like us, act like us, or believe like us. There's no question that the right uh, evangelical uh, wing of this country is going to keep fighting against LGBT rights moving forward. I mean, the National Organization for Marriage has now morphed into the National Organization Against Anything That's LGBT. And basically merged into the Trump administration. That is correct. <laughs> but but so we can expect to see more litigation moving forward, but we are bringing the cases having to do with really uh, horrible examples of misusing religion, whether it's Uncle Jack, whether it's Johnny, whether it's Naya Taylor. And we will continue to bring those cases and make our case to the courts and the court of public opinion. Great. So let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the recent news around. I can't believe we're talking about this, but hopefully we put this into perspective for folks because it really is outrageous around Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her getting turned away from uh, the Red Hen. And we're back. A few days ago, Trump's press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, took to her official Twitter account to recount how she was kicked out of a Virginia restaurant called The Red Hen. So to set the table before we discuss um, the, the basic um, through line here and why it's distinguishable from Masterpiece Cake Shop, um, here's a little bit of background about what happened uh, according to Slate. So. The Red Hen is a tiny 26-seat restaurant that is located in a small Virginia town around 200 miles from Washington, D.C. After Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her party of about seven sat down, the Red Hen's owner huddled with their staff, and they all decided, many of them who were LGBT, that it would be best to ask Sanders to leave. The employees specifically were upset that Sanders had defended Trump's decision Trump's decision to ban transgender citizens from the military. Here is how the owner says the conversation went when she asked Sanders to join her on the patio. Quote, I explained that the restaurant has certain standards that I feel it has to uphold, such as honesty and compassion and cooperation. She finally asked Sanders to leave and Sanders didn't push back. She was also reported as saying that she would do it again. Here's the restaurant owner again. I'm not a huge fan of confrontation. I have a business and I want the business to thrive. This feels like a moment in our democracy when people have to make uncomfortable actions and decisions to uphold their morals. So subsequently we've been getting, um, we've been getting all these hot takes from all sides about this act of resistance. We are going to leave it up to listeners to decide what they would do in this situation, but we are going to at least discuss what makes this different from the bigoted baker and masterpiece. And of course, this cuts both ways. Many called out Sanders for her hypocrisy, since she and Trump celebrate the right to discriminate against LGBT people, and supporters of the president call out many of us, open to all defenders, as not extending their argument to people of all political backgrounds. So, um, Omar, can you give us a little bit of a, your take on why these two things, the business turning away LGBT folks and a business turning away Sarah Huckabee Sanders, are not the same? 
I feel like it's almost obvious. But yeah, but we've start, seen so let's, many people. Let's start, let's start, let's start with why it's not the people same. on the LGBT front. We oh, yeah. Saw oh, yeah. Let, let me, let me condemn Glad for coming up with this. This is double A Glad. The, the media organization, let's, con, let's just denounce their false equivalence here and, and think that this is somehow comparable to turning away a customer, a person from a place of public accommodation because of who they are. Not because they're complicit in racism, not because they're complicit in separating families, and not because they create internment camps and concentration camps for immigrants, not because they're complicit in banning religions from this country, or because they're complicit in eradicating protections for transgender youth in schools, or transgender workers, or fighting in the courts against protections for LGB individuals, lesbian, gay, bisexual individuals in the courts. This is why Sarah Huckabee Sanders was denied service. It's not because of who she is, it's because of what she does. Let me explain this very clearly. Being LGBT is not a choice. The courts actually get that. I hope the media would they get that. Being a racist, being a homophobe, being transphobic, being xenophobic, being a white supremacist, all of these things have characterized so many of the appointees in this Trump administration is a choice. Your actions are a choice. How you treat other people is a choice. And when you, you cannot go about this country pretending that you can tear apart families, you can tear apart communities, you can create a wall between families and citizens and, 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 and eliminate our connection to the world and to each other and then hope to be serviced like you are a normal person just walking about their day. What you do with your life matters. There's a reason I work in public interest. I want my work to matter. Most people entered government with the hope that what they did matter because they're public servants and they want to be of public service. Not because they want to enrich their son and their daughter and their Trump hotel, but because they want to actually service the public good, our common wealth. And that is why I think this is different. Because who Sarah Huckabee is, is not why she was turned away. It is about what she does and the content of her character. I wish we were in a position where everybody was judged, not because of who they are, but the content of their character. Wow, I don't know how to really follow up with that other than it's just so, um, I've been so dismayed by how just two days ago, we were all rightly decrying the cruel and heartless policy and practice of this administration of ripping children out of the arms of their parents and throwing them in cages and how we went on to now focus on this argument that's about, geez, can't we all be polite to each other? Can't we be civil? And the media creates a false equivalency here. David Gergen was on CNN talking about how civil the civil rights era and the Vietnam protests were. I know for a fact that those were not civil. We all know that. How many black people were beaten up just for asking for equality and their rights during the civil rights era? 
Does nobody remember we have to send the National Guard to help just somebody go to school? Like, that wasn't the, 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 the idea that calling out somebody for their actions as a racist because they actually discriminate on the basis of race is somehow uncivil is mind-boggling. Since when did we decide that pointing out the truth and facts is uncivil? And let's also be honest that we are not living in every day and age. We are truly in a momentous time in history in which the very foundations of our democracy are being eroded, where the president of the United States is banning religions from our country, where the president of the United States is actually asking that we eliminate due process and the court's role in when it comes to immigrants, that is disgusting. That was his that is, just the other That day. is counter to everything we are as a country. And to not denounce that, to actually stay in the silence, in the sidelines, is actually being complicit to the deterioration of who we are as a people. That's right. And as a legal matter, just, you know, very briefly, can you explain to folks why there's a, there's not just a moral argument to be made here, there's a legal argument, there's a reason why states protect people from discrimination based on their race, their sex, their sexual orientation, their gender identity. The idea that turning away Sarah Huckabee Sanders from a restaurant in a very polite manner um, and actually comping her whole party's appetizers and meals (laughs) um, is somehow illegal or counter to the spirit of the Civil Rights Act? Look, if they think that is counter to the spirit of the Civil Rights Act, then why are they actually seeking to undermine the Civil Rights Act? Why are they saying that the Civil Rights Act doesn't apply to LGBT people when it does in terms of employment on Title VII and the Fair Housing Act and Title IX and the Education Amendments, but it somehow applies to Sarah Kalhapi Sanders on public accommodations, which, by the way, doesn't even prohibit at the federal level discrimination on the basis of sex. That is outrageous. It's divorced from reality. And I, 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 it's just shameful that the media seeks to draw a false equivalence between being a racist and calling out a racist as such. I also know that we have a moral responsibility as an LGBTQ community to stand up for the very ideals that have made us such a successful movement today. We have miles to go, but the reason we are where we are is because of the Marsha P. Johnsons in Stonewall and rioting and because of ACT UP and never being allowed to be said no. And because we have used every tool in our arsenal, civil disobedience, protest, the power of the purse, and our legal institutions like Lambda Legal does every single day to try to get a growing sense of equality and equal participation in society. Um, We are nowhere near our goal, but I think we've come a long way and we just need to say that those very foundations that have made us who we are as a movement are the ones that we need to start applying as a country for 
what we need to set for allyship, for standing up for our Muslim brothers and sisters, our, our immigrant brothers and sisters, for standing up for the vast array of people that not only make up the LGBTQ community, but all of our country, all of America. Great. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we got the decision in the Muslim ban case. And so, Omar, um, we're going to spend this next segment talking a little bit about that decision and what it means. This morning, in a 5-4 to four ruling, the Supreme Court upheld the Trump administration's third Muslim ban. Legal joined an amicus brief in this case, highlighting how the ban threatens the lives of LGBT Muslims. For many of us, the ruling left us feeling heartbroken and helpless. The decision reminds us of Korematsu, the Supreme Court's decision upholding Japanese-American imprisonment. Today's ruling does not uphold the country's most basic principles of religious freedom and equality. Notably, Sotomayor and Ginsburg, in their dissent, wrote, Ultimately, what began as a policy explicitly calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States has since morphed into a proclamation putatively based on national security concerns. But this new window dressing cannot conceal an unassailable fact. The words of the president and his advisors create the strong perception that the proclamation is contaminated by impermissible discrimination against Islam and its followers. Rather than defend the president's problematic statements, the government urges this court to set them aside. The majority accepts that invitation and incorrectly applies a watered-down legal standard in an effort to short-circuit plaintiff's establishment clause claims. For purposes of our conversation today, and the through line that's run through all of our discussion on this podcast, Justice Sotomayor and Ginsburg um, bring up the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling in their dissent. They say, unlike in Masterpiece, they say, where the majority considered the state commissioner's statements about religion to be persuasive evidence of unconstitutional government action, the majority here completely sets aside the president's charged statements about Muslims as irrelevant. That holding erodes the foundational principles of religious tolerance that the court elsewhere has so emphatically protected, and it tells members of minority religions in our country that they are outsiders and not full members of the political community. So what are we supposed to make, Omar, of the fact that the court majority in Masterpiece seems to care deeply about religious hostility when it targets or is perceived to target Christians, but not so much when it comes to minority religions, um, anti-Muslim animus that we have clearly evidenced here? Well, I think it speaks to the perspective of the people that are in the court. It's actually a great example of why we need diversity in the courts, why we need a set of views uh, and experiences that can identify and speak with and understand the position that uh, that the litigants before the court are set, are uh, are telling, are saying. Um, the the affront I think they took in masterpiece was both um, real, based on non on 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 facts that weren't really there, um, and here 
the affront is lesser on outrageous facts because they don't empathize. They don't, they don't see it from the perspective of those that are hurt. I think Justice Sotomayor's um, very uh, strong dissent, in fact, my understanding is she read, um, read it for the, from the bench for 20 minutes in a very furious tone and deservedly so. She, as she notes, that the majority in this case is turning a blind eye to the pain and suffering the proclamation inflicts upon countless families and individuals, many of whom are United States citizens. And, and that's what happened here. I think this is a decision that is um, completely devoid from reality in how it treats the president's proclamation. There is no question that what Trump was setting out to do here was ban people from a particular religion. And the only reason, by the way, we're on Proclamation 3.0 is because the courts intervened, because organizations sued and plaintiffs stepped up on day one, whether it was the state of Hawaii, which was the plaintiff in this case, or the ACLU or Immigration National Immigration Law Center, many people stepped up to sue and 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 enjoin this horrible proclamation and slowly it was carved out into the remnants that it is today, which is still awful, but it is less awful than what it was uh, on, on the first week of this administration over a year and a half ago now. And, and so um, I think it speaks to the role of the courts and how powerful that role is. It speaks to the power of impact litigation and actually standing up for the rights of others. And, and there was some modicum of success in doing that. And it's a, an opinion that, like Korematsu, under the guise of national security, um, turns a blind eye to blatant discrimination. Um, that is something that Sotomayor denounces very strongly in her opinion. Uh, her dissent that was joined by Justice Ginsburg. Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer dissented separately. Um, and so in this very narrow ruling, you have a decision that will be condemned in the, in, in the future. And it hopefully will end up in the ash heap of history. Um, look, uh, there are some positives to today's decision. Let's, okay. let's try to find the silver linings Please. in this horrible darkness. Okay. For one, the, the Supreme Court has said that statements by the president pre- and post-inauguration are evidence that can be taken into account by the courts. That is something that was held by the Supreme Court, and that is something that will help us in the future as we continue to litigate uh, the military trans ban case, as we continue to litigate other cases. Because as we know, this is a precedent with no filter and an affliction for Twitter. And so that's one thing that's positive. And another one, um, it's, it's a relatively symbolic gesture, but officially now, uh, 64 years later, um, Korematsu is, uh, is now overruled. And, and that is uh, 
mind-boggling that it took this long for that to happen. But the only reason that is the case is because Justice Sotomayor so clearly elucidated how this decision today mirrors Korematsu and uh, it forced the hand of the majority to finally say that that case is, should have never been decided that way. Um, I think uh, what happened today was horrible. Uh, this is a term that has been um, it's a dark ages when it comes to, to progressive liberal values in, in, in this court. Um, voting rights have been under, undermined. Political gerrymandering has gone unaddressed. Racial gerrymandering has been um, justified by the court. Uh, they have refused to state that public accommodations laws apply evenly um, in all contexts and that they cannot be hollowed out by religion. Um, they just turn a blind eye to all of those cases. And here you have one circumstance in which they upheld the authority of President Trump to institute his travel ban under a pretense, a pretext of national security. Um, it's unfortunate. Uh, we we join amicus briefs in these cases as well, try, uh, standing up for, for, um, for uh, people who are in most need. These are people who are coming to our country because of the horrible uh, circumstances in which they live. Uh, because we're talking about LGBT people that are seeking refuge because they could be beheaded or thrown from a building, as the Trump administration likes to point out all the time. Yet, we denounce that, but we close our doors to them. I think the dissonance in the actions of the administration, I think the dissonance in the actions of the Supreme Court between Masterpiece and today's um, decision in, in Trump v. Hawaii um, is, is, is something that will be studied for years to come. The events at the Supreme Court today are ones that we are lamenting and we are um, trying to understand. I don't want that to take away from the importance of what today is. Today is the anniversary of um, years of frustration and struggle and the establishment and recognition by the court that we are worth the same. We are of equal dignity and should be recognized and should be able to live our lives freely as LGBT people. Um, I think that it's worth celebrating. This is a court that is way to the right of the median person in this country. And, um, and so, but, but our rights and our dignity and our worth are not dependent upon a single justice, are not dependent upon a single court. They are inherent. We are to have them because of who we are and what because we exist. So um, I continue to celebrate June 26th as a day that holds a lot of promise. And today's Trump v. Hawaii decision is a stain on that day. But I know that the rest of what this day stands for, the, the talk and recognition by the court of equal dignity of people, 
um, will we'll carry the day moving forward. So I celebrate one and I denounce the other, and that's how we keep going. Omar, I can't think of a better way to end this on a truly positive note, on a mix, on a day of mixed emotions, on a day where we celebrate what we've achieved and promise and commit ourselves to fight and resist, not always civilly, <laughs> but out in the streets to make real change for the those of us who this administration does not see and does not care about. And, and I will just end with one note. If anything, this uh, Supreme Court term has showed me is why Justice Soto, Sonia Sotomayor is my favorite Supreme. Uh, <laughs> Can you the go wise, ahead, the go, wise Latina, The wise Latina is the what? conscience of our nation right now. Yeah. When is she, whether she's speaking about criminal justice reform, whether she's dissenting in Masterpiece, or whether she's dissenting in today's decision in How I Beat Trump, she, I think she's speaking and standing up for the conscience of our nation and the values of our Constitution. And... I could not be prouder as a Puerto Rican of Sonia Sotomayor being in the court. Or as a New Yorker. Or as a New Yorker. (laughs) Or Uh, as a lawyer. Or as a lawyer. And certainly we've talked so much about empathy on this program. I mean, Obama, when talking about Justice Sotomayor and the values that he was looking for when picking a Supreme Court justice, mentioned empathy. And I can't... And that was denounced by the right all the time. Uh, how empathy is not something that and we progressives need to, have been running away from it. Like how empathy is not something that? we need in judges. And guess what? It is something we need in everybody, let alone in judges. I don't think you should be in charge of our country, whether it's in the executive, whether it's in the judicial or the legislative branch. If you don't have empathy to actually identify and feel for those that you serve, great. Well, thank you, Omar, for joining us today. Thanks for listening. This and future podcasts can also be found in iTunes and on legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBTBarNY or like us on Facebook. Follow me at E.D. Lesh. We want to thank Lambda Legal Senior Attorney and Legal's newest board member Omar Gonzalez Pagan for joining us today and offering his insights. We thank you as always for listening to this podcast. Happy Pride, everyone.